Do we see at Groundswell this year, the 26th and 27th of June, close to London, UK? Many friends of the podcast will be there. John Kempf, Abby Rose, Benedict Berzo, Henry Dimbleby, Claire Hill, Russ Carrington, Andy Cato, Tim Coates, and many, many more. See you there. You're going to listen to an interview with Gregory Landau, CEO of Terra Genesis International. We're going to talk about, of course, the opportunity impact investors have to get active in the regenerative agriculture space. But most importantly, in this interview, we're going to discuss the role of blockchain. What can smart contracts and a distributed ledger do for the regenerative agriculture space? Enjoy. Welcome to another episode of Investing in Regenerative Agriculture, Investing as if the Planet Mattered, a podcast show where I talk to the pioneers in the regenerative food and agriculture space to learn more on how to put our money to work to regenerate soil, people, local communities and ecosystems while making an appropriate and fair return. Why my focus on soil and regeneration? Because so many of the pressing issues we face today have their roots in how we treat our land, grow our food and what we eat. And it's time that we as investors, big and small and consumers, start paying much more attention to the dirt slash soil underneath our feet. Before we get started, I've been recording these interviews next to my day job and I will definitely continue to do so and release about an episode a month. But at the same time, I would love to take this further, share more interviews. There are many more stories to share on investing in regenerative food and agriculture, more depth, improve the quality, maybe even doing some video series. So I started a Patreon community, which makes it easy to support creators like myself. If these podcasts have been of value to you, and if you have the means, I invite you to support me and make this happen. For more information, please find the link to my Patreon account in the description below. And now, without further ado, the interview. Enjoy! So welcome to Investing in Regenerative Agriculture, Investing as if the Planet Mattered. I'm Kun van Sey and the host of today. In the podcast of today, we have Gregory Landau, CEO of Terra Genesis International, a regenerative design consultancy based in Idaho. Welcome, Gregory. Thanks for having me on the show. Thank you for coming. And to start with a personal question, what's your journey into regenerative agriculture and why did you end up here? Well, that's a great question. I think I went to school um, as an undergrad student in environmental science. Um, and at that point, and I think still that discipline is is pretty focused on explanations of the problems of sort of the, the planetary crisis of species extinction and global warming and environmental toxicology. And at that point, there was a lot of um, talk about the impact of aerosols and the stratosphere and um, ozone depletion and other things. And I really honestly, I really just got tired of all of the doom and gloom and started sort of my own exploration of what kind of solutions exist out there and how can humans through our economic activities be a force for um, health and um, balance on a global scale and in our home ecosystems. And that search led me to encounter permaculture when I was quite young and start engaging with the um, art and science of designing human systems that increase ecosystem health while meeting human needs instead of extracting value from ecosystems in order to meet um, human wants is how I would sort of 
juxtaposed the search that I was engaged in with sort of business as usual. So um, from there, it's just been um, a deepening exploration of how that that search for how to meet human needs and increase ecosystem health can appear and where the most strategic intervention points are in the system to help the economy start to shift towards one that is really celebrating and honoring all life in the way that the economy functions. And, and when you look at these these entry points or where, where the most um, possible impact could be made at the beginning, um, you identified supply chains and you identified companies in that supply chain. Can you explain why that is and what you actually do in those supply chains? Sure. Well, so one thing to recognize is at TerraGenesis, we very rarely um, use the word the the concept supply chain, actually. And there's a whole history of how that term came to be used in business. Um, but the the short version is that term basically represents an extractive mindset. A linear system. To yank and extract value in a linear way out of from sort of a pool of value and put it um, in a place where it is um, of relatively more value. Um, and so we sort of think of the value adding stream. So there's a stream where a so we speak about value adding streams and the the potential of engaging um, either at different points in that value adding stream or with the stream as a whole with businesses um, is really enormously potent, right? So so my passion and my quest early on was and still is in a way to transform as much of the agricultural landscape to um, towards a landscape that can draw down carbon from the atmosphere and uplift the farmers and communities that are the stewards of that landscape at the same time. And so in order to do that, we really need to be working um, systemically connecting to the businesses that are purchasing ingredients and adding value to those ingredients before they come to the end customer. And so um, really in order to change on a large scale um, land use, especially agricultural land use, we need to be working with the businesses that are making the big purchases and that are um, complexifying and adding value to, to that which they're purchasing. The ingredients that come from, you know, the Amazon rainforest or, or the soy fields of middle America, wherever it might be. So as an entry point, that's the, the, the leverage point you're, you're using in this stream, basically. And what do you do with these companies when, when a, uh, I mean, you have many examples, obviously, when a company comes to you and say, okay, we want to stop looking at our supply chain as a chain, but as a circle or as a stream, where do you start? Yeah, so there's, there's sort of a change from, you know, I oftentimes describe it from sustainable supply chain is sort of a concept and people have a fixed idea of what that means. And then, you, you know, so oftentimes companies come to us with this sort of sustainable supply chain business paradigm where they're looking to optimize for certain key metrics or indicators. Um, and we're sort of taking them on a journey that leads them to the next step, which is what we would call the regenerative producer web, which is um, in, in a producer web, you're starting to recognize what you just spoke to in your question, which is, oh, this isn't a linear chain. And actually, everyone 
in the the network of value adding is um, adding value. There isn't sort of this strictly linear relationship. There's a more complex relationship. And in that, so so working with companies to help them with their mindset shift from sort of a linear, we're extracting X value to, okay, there's a there's a web of reciprocity here and we're playing a key role. How do we understand the role that the other members of this web are playing and grow their capacity to do that better while we're growing our capacity to produce a better product for our customers? So the, the way that that looks in a re- very tangible way is um, we engage with analysis and assessment of the system of supply, um, risk assessments, opportunity assessments. We engage with the company to sort of invite them to be able to see an image of what the, the ecosystem that they're purchasing ingredients out of could look like at its optimal health. And in order to do that with a business person, it's sort of like a crash course in ecology and oftentimes even sociology, understanding the cultural dynamics. So we're really inviting our clients into a much deeper understanding of the places that they're interacting with and making purchases from so that they can become a partner to that location in generating healthier results for both the ecosystem and the clients of the company. And I can imagine that's a process that takes much longer than the average client uh, purchaser agreement, etc. What's the role of time in this in this space? Yeah, we generally like, you know, of course, it's important to sort of have a period of courtship so that they so that we can all build trust in one another. So we usually engage with a discrete bit of work to do the assessment process and a few key bits of education where no matter what happens, they can have kind of a strategic roadmap moving forward that's highly valuable, really rooted in the, um, the ecological social realities of the places that purchases are being made. So there's a discrete engagement, and that usually lasts, you know, somewhere around six to eight months where there's um, assessment and education happening. But generally, we're looking at sort of a three to five year time frame. Because the goal here is to grow the company's capacity to be thinking and acting regeneratively so that their, the effect that they have on the systems that they're interacting with is to actually grow the capacity of that system itself to evolve in response to climate change, in response to innovation, whatever the, the dynamic needs are. Um, and what that does is it creates a really robust and resilient relationship between the company and the place where they're both growing capacity. So that also invites the, the customers of the company in an extraordinarily exciting journey. So there's sort of a lot of ways to see the value proposition of our work. But as you were noting, it isn't sh- a short term solution in order to start to learn to engage with complexity and do so in a way that has regenerative results, it's a journey and it, it's building new business habits, it's building new capacity, and really it's being able to see problems with new eyes so that the solutions that are inherent with those problems can actually be identified and nurtured. And 
maybe that's actually one of the, the barriers. What, what are the barriers you see after being working in this sector for a while? What are the barriers to the regenerative agriculture sector to, to scale up? Maybe not scale up as we're used to in, in the software world, but to, to reach more of those hectares and, and many more of those farms and land stewards. What are those barriers that, that are currently holding the sector uh, down and not making it reach its full potential? Yeah, well, that's a great question, and I think points to some of, um, in in fact, points to some of the solutions that um, software may actually offer. So, for an ecological system to be healthy, it needs to have biodiversity. And your listeners who are somewhat familiar with ecology or keep up with environmental news, oftentimes will have heard. You know, we're losing biodiversity at a at a rapid rate. Well, that's not just in the wildlands of the world. That's also in agricultural systems. So the enormous richness of heirloom crops has been diminishing as companies optimize for yield and usually um, chemically fed yield, you know, over 50 years or so of the Green Revolution. There's sort of been this this bottleneck where the diversity, the agricultural diversity of the world has collapsed. And um, that's because of the, the single big problem, which I'm going to sort of speak about, that's limiting the, the spread of regenerative agriculture, which is sort of the logistics of bringing diversity to the marketplace. So we have a global marketplace that's built very efficiently to bring single crops from large scale farms to into the commodities market and then from there spread it amongst the diversity of uh, businesses that then add value to the crop and and create food or cosmetics or medicines, whatever it might be. We've basically forced ecology to match our abstract logistics and economic system. Instead, we need to redesign the logistics and systems of exchange to match a healthy ecosystem. And what that means is the the potential here with this problem, I think, is in software that allows distributed purchases into diverse agroecosystems. So if a farmer no longer has to optimize for a single crop in order to just sort of sell bulk and have very low margins, but instead could sell, you know, five or even 10 different crops off of the same piece of land and have those crops efficiently distributed to all of the different buyers in a way that the, that um, system of supply can aggregate at the appropriate um, scales and then distribute at the appropriate scales, we would basically have a system of supply that can meet a healthy ecosystem where it's at and, in fact, increase the health of the ecosystem and the farmer while um, engendering a very vibrant economy. And, and is that the angle, because I've read some, some articles before, uh, the angle of where, where blockchain and, and the distributed technologies or software we're, we're seeing the birth of now come in and, and could play their potentially vital role? That is my opinion, 100%. In fact, we're devoting substantial resources at this point um, to the development of 
agricultural specific applications of blockchain technology um, because the potential to have a verification system of the increase of ecosystem health right um, through key indicators like carbon the the drawdown of atmospheric carbon into soil and above ground biomass biodiversity these are all things that we know how to monitor and can be embedded into a smart contract in an, in a distributed ledger system so um, when you combine that sort of layer with the ability for blockchain to track provenance and, provenance and create transparency through a value-adding stream, you have this enormously powerful tool for disrupting and transforming the way the entire global system of supply works and regenerate that system of supply in a way that is in service to the health of the ecosystem. Now, I don't know... I know that there's a lot of buzz and there's a lot of excitement about the blockchain, both in investment circles as well as in development circles um, and even in agricultural circles to a certain degree. But I don't really know of very many other projects that are really asking what's the highest use of the blockchain as a tool for regenerating agroecosystems in service to the health of the planet. And that's really the next big thing for Terragenesis International and what we're devoting our, our coming year to in partnership with some of our, our existing clients and, you know, a growing pool of investors who are interested in sort of pioneering that disruption. And if you can tell, of course, where would be the first um, application of this technology in your eyes? In, in, like if we speak in a year from now, I mean, you're, you're, devoting your time now to that and your resources and 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 focusing on that and if we talk would talk in a year from now what would we be discussing now in terms of blockchain and and regenerative agriculture in an ideal scenario well i think um, in an ideal scenario we will have a robust proof of concept and beta already running with several ingredients so that people can can see how it works and some of the um, troubleshooting and problem solving that inevitably will come up can sort of be underway. And we will have basically have a pretty powerful and robust information product based on the blockchain that companies large and small and as well as end customers and producer communities can all engage with in order to make decisions together about what does regeneration mean in, in their shared context. And that's something that's very important to me is that we start to understand that, that regeneration isn't an abstract ideal. It actually has to be recreated in specific contexts. So a regenerative agriculture system that has to include the, the farmer, the businesses that are engaging with it, and the details of the, the geography, the culture, the context the ecology, right? So every place actually is going to have sort of this unique expression. And in one year, I am really passionately excited to see groups of stakeholders come together in a way where the blockchain can sort of mediate and um, capture the conversation and agreements in order to ask, explore what's the highest potential expression of this agricultural system for this entire group of stakeholders, including the living world, including nature. And, and to ask a bit more technical question, how are you building a blockchain? I mean, I've, I've read a lot about it, and, and, but it's still not completely clear to me. Where do you start? 
uh, from a vision that you just draw um, in, in the last few few sentences to how do you get concrete and where where do you even start? Do you want to learn how to invest or are you an entrepreneur and want to build companies in the regenerative food and agriculture space? Or do you work in big ag and big food and want to really move the needle? We have developed a new video course for you. Find out more on investinginregenerativeagriculture.com slash course or in the show notes description below. Well, that's a great question. Um, luckily, we have a really great group of allies that have been pioneers in the development of some of the large um, blockchain systems. We're currently working towards building our vision on the Ethereum platform um, for a variety of different reasons, um, mostly um, pragmatic. It's the most flexible. Yeah. yeah, there's such a robust development community right now, and several of our allies are very um, integral in that community. So it gives us the ability to... Um, sort of both know what we don't know and know who to talk to about that. And I think that's key for businesses who are engaging with the blockchain because it, it is pretty esoteric on a lot of levels, as is regenerative agriculture, interestingly enough. So we have these two um, sort of highly specialized skills. And, and from my perspective, really what we're doing right now is we're sort of we're working on a project that can marry the technosphere with the biosphere again so that the tools that we're using this amazing technology are working in service to the health of ecosystems not just extracting value for sort of a utopian ideal that's disconnected from the health the sort of basic functional health of our planet and water and the carbon cycle um, and biodiversity, but instead is interconnected and interdependent with that health. And um, so to speak really directly to your question about how are we proceeding technically um, very carefully, <laughs> and we're slowly building a team. So our expertise for years has been very grounded in our ability to work with communities and to work with the soil and to work with the agro-ecosystems and all the stakeholders who engage with that. And so at TerraGenesis, we've sort of developed a capacity in design for complex ecosystems and stakeholders. And so from our perspective, we're approaching the blockchain not as sort of a holy grail, but as another member in, a, in an existing and complex ecosystem that we're inviting to the table to infuse the work that's already underway. So we're not looking at the blockchain and asking, you know, um, sort of what's, what's the abstract potential here. We're looking at the blockchain and inviting a conversation about what's the potential in our specific context. And to speak about a specific context, can you walk me through, let's say, again, we're talking a year from now, and I'm, I was one of them, or I'm still one of the, the people involved in the pilot I'm a cocoa farmer in, in Central America. Of course, I'm completely regenerative, so I have multiple ingredients that I'm growing, of multiple things that come off my land that might have value and maybe didn't have value before. How do I engage? Does it work on my phone? What do I do to be part of, of, of this stream? Yeah, so you're engaging on your phone, basically, or at a desktop computer at the Internet Cafe down the road. Um, and you're engaging with a platform where you can actually see, you know, who is enjoying the chocolate bar made out of your cacao. 
and you're able to with in, by engaging with your cooperative, the cooperative that you're a member, you're able to go on and not only track global commodities prices, but also make decisions, sort of informed financial decisions about together with the other, uh, with the buyer, you're able to make decisions about the sale price that are informed by the variables that everyone has decided are important. Um, quality, right? So there's a contract about quality and you can test that land use is the land use really um, up to snuff. Are you producing multiple ingredients? Um, is carbon being sequestered into your agro ecosystem and not just sort of enforcing things on the farmer, but the farmer then gets to look upstream and say, Oh, is that chocolate business doing what it promised? Are they, you know, um, are they selling that, that chocolate bar with a story that's in integrity with with what's really happening on the ground. Are they using my photo fair enough? Yeah. Exactly. Am I getting value for for the extra layers of marketing that I supported them with, with the tour and the photo and other things? So it starts to we start to be able to level the playing field so that the farmer is actually participating as a user in in this market ecosystem instead of just as the sort of the foundation of a pyramid where value is being extracted and and to ask the stupid question why is that possible now or or in the near future with blockchain and not with all the tools we already have on on the internet well i actually think it was completely possible before so why is it not done um so this is just sort of a philosophical perspective And and I w perhaps am going to receive some <laughs> hate mail from people who are true believers in blockchain technology. We can handle that. But my my belief isn't in isn't so much that blockchain is sort of a radical difference. It is that people because people believe it's a radical difference, we're having conversations that people were scared to have before. And so the enormous amount of attention going into the question about what a distributed economy means and how it could manifest in a way that is in service to not just centralized sort of economic power, but all of the participants of, of the economy is something that's happening at an increasingly frequent rate and with higher and higher quality. So that discourse is generating the ability, from my perspective, for people to actually believe that it's possible. Whereas before, something about, um, something about the conditions meant that most people would just eschew and say, no, no, that can't actually happen. We can't actually have that kind of a system. Um, I do think You know, just a caveat to what I said, it's not just sort of the, the larger shift in belief that's taking place, although that's a big part of it. And I think it shouldn't be the reason why I'm focusing on it is because I think it's too oftentimes forgotten. I also think that there's some some very clear um, the, the, the power of a distributed ledger of a ledger that is hosted by everyone, not just a single entity who holds all of the cards is enormously potent and opens up vast realms of possibility that didn't exist just 10 years ago. Yeah, so maybe it's not the, we didn't go from 20% to 100 or it didn't become 10 times 
better or or more potent because of the blockchain it did get i mean there's a development in there that's unique yeah but because everybody believes it did get 100 times better we suddenly have discussions investments attention focus so it actually is becoming better and actually is becoming used which before was only a theoretical discussion and maybe some research papers that that we wrote about the distributed economy and now actually people are doing it that's my belief is that it's a combination and and in the synergy between that that there is a better tool and it does exist and there are sort of proof of the the, the proof is in the pudding as they say right that that there are you know bitcoin is a global phenomenon and the value keeps going up there's a tension there's a massive amount of attention in altcoins there's a massive amount of attention to ethereum and the ethereum enterprise platform and and it's growing and that's bringing attention to the conversation you know just five years ago, if I had just outlined, and five years ago, frankly, I was thinking about all of this stuff and working on it, and I may have said most of the exact same things if you had asked me those questions, just minus the ability to use the blockchain in a way that had you lean in and say, oh, wow, because I've heard it all over my social media, um, what this guy is saying actually might be true. Yeah, or it might be possible. I think that's the difference. Exactly. Exactly. It might be more than possible. It might be a good investment. Because <laughs> everybody from IBM to your your old hacker geeks friends uh, are, are talking about it. So there's something there that, that makes it suddenly... That's right. And so it's an enormously exciting time, I think, um, if we can if we can invite the highly intelligent but somewhat abstract um, cyber community engaged with the blockchain to really be actively engaged with how this technology increases the health of ecosystems, agricultural systems, and the trade systems that connect humans to those systems. Um, we'll really have something um, exciting to be talking about in, the, in a year from now. Which is not easy if you see most of the, the, the research or the, the money and investments are flowing towards making bank transactions faster and just a few milliseconds because they earn on that. And so it's not looking, I mean, it's, it's not connected to earth, literally. That's correct. And, and I think it's, it's absolutely essential, but it's not going to be an easy stretch to get IBM or whoever looking at uh, ecosystem uh, ecosystems and biospheres etc they have to at, at some point anyway but we hope we do it a bit before that yeah i mean absolutely i agree i mean i think the the potential here where i think we're really very much at a crossroads and the potential is that this technology is only used to optimize the extractive economy more but there's a there's a there's another potential, and that potential is that this, this technology is used to engage in an inquiry about how investment creates m multiple forms of return, um, multiple forms of capital, not just financial capital, but the living capital that out of which all other wealth is born, um, and how to actively um, create ways for us to be engaging and including the the health and vibrance of that living capital pool into our um, systems of trade and um, i'm not 
just as a disclaimer, I, I'm not actually a big fan of just sort of monetizing ecosystem services <laughs> um, because I, I think that the, the complexity of living systems is too much to be accounted for in quotes. So we're really walking a razor's edge here. So I sort of, I personally have this philosophical belief that we can't simply just sort of uh, have a quote unquote true cost economics and internalize all the externalized costs in the form of ecosystem services and have sort of an economy that works perfectly. I don't actually believe that. However, I do believe that some very pragmatic steps in moving forward using blockchain um, distributed ledger systems for trade and for accounting for ecosystem services is clearly the next step for um, shifting it, the economy in a way that actually is serving the health of the planet and not only needs to happen, but already is happening. So um, there's a certain point here where sort of my personal philosophy is very likely to be tested. <laughs> but at the moment, I think it's very, it's very aligned with what sort of the imperative that is the exploration of how this technology can serve the communities and ecosystems that are the foundation for all, whether we believe it or not, all of the wealth that's being exchanged in a millisecond, in a nanosecond, as financial capital liquidity actually sublimates and gasifies and turns into sort of this global omnipresent ether <laughs> that makes transactions instantaneous. Um, that can only be supported with a very clear connection with the slower rhythms of planetary health. Yeah, at the end, I don't know who did the quote, but it's uh, you can't eat money at the end. I mean, there's there's always, the, and, and a lot of people live a bit of outside that biosphere or think they live outside the biosphere until they stopped. But I think it's an interesting, the, the true cost is an interesting example of, of extracting companies thinking about their externalities and, and letting these reports uh, be written and then usually get really scared because they are actually making a huge loss if you even if you just internalize a few of the externalities because most of them you you simply cannot even measure you get quite far right but already with only maybe half of it or a third etc they are way deep in their in the red numbers um, if you start calculating that so maybe it serves as a wake-up call that their supply chain as they are still calling that um, is is in fact uh, um, broken or at least not functioning if you look at the bigger bigger picture that's right it's a huge step it's a huge step and the companies and investors who invest and and that's so that sort of true cost and internalization of externalities is going to happen I believe because there's growing awareness and growing pressure it's sort of the writings already on the wall Companies aren't going to be able, they'll find ways to externalize, but many of the things they're externalizing right now, uh, will, they'll be forced to internalize. And companies and investors who realize that that's happening, that, that's, that that trend is underway and sort of in the process of actualizing into the economy and the disruptive force that that will create, people who have the foresight to invest in regenerative agriculture and in the, the systems of supply and technology that support regenerative agriculture will be in a very solid position for the new economy that's being born. Because those are industries where 
there are no externalities, where the net benefit to the system is greater than the cost. And that, I think, it, even just as a hedge, right, that even there's a small probability that what I just said is true, it's worth investing significant amount of capital. You know, so I fully believe that even if, you know, we could invest 10 or 15 percent of the available financial capital that's buzzing around the planet right now in regenerative agriculture and the foundation of the regenerative economy in the next two or three years. We would change the world. We would change the world. It would completely transform things. And, and that, to me, is a very attractive proposition to investors, because if you're saying, you know, look, we need a group of, you know, five hedge funds and, you know, 100 venture capital funds, and we want all of you to dedicate 10% of your assets to this project, not our project in specific, I couldn't even metabolize that amount of capital, but the larger project of, you know, regenerating the agro ecosystem and the system of supply as the foundation for a new bioeconomy and invested in the land base for that and the technology for that and, um, you know, all of the other aspects, the, the upskilling that's going to need to take place and all of the myriad millions of different exciting business opportunities, everything from sharing economy, ecotourism plays to real estate ventures. I mean, there's a lot there that could be very attractive if just 10% of investment portfolio of, like I said, you know, five or 10 hedge funds and a hundred venture capital groups, we would have enough working capital to actually change the direction from, you know, pending doom of our biosphere and our ability to live here where um, we have to go to Mars or something, you know, in a futurist scenario to a vibrant Earth where humans are actually living in a way that's coherent with the health of the larger ecosystem. And we can still go to Mars and do all those other things. So Yeah, we still have 90% left. So that's right. We can pay for a few rockets. We still have plenty of capital. And I believe that eventually, many, uh, much of that capital would cycle down. Will flow in. Because we'll show the different ways to return, not in an infinite growth economy that's based on extracting more value and producing more needless goods and marketing it, but the new burgeoning economy of, of creativity, where the knowledge that is born out of this exploration shows a myriad of different returns on investment. And let's say we're in front of a, a theater full of smart impact investors, or as all investors, including us, think we're smart. What would you say, what would be the first step? They're all interested, they're all excited after, after um, this half an hour, and they want to get in. Where do you start and what you, should you look out for? Well, so, um, of course, give me a call. I'm always happy to chat. <laughs> but, you know, that aside, in a sort of general pattern level, I think the places to start are um, really where are you as an investor interested and passionate about what <clears throat> and what are the linkages with your existing investment portfolio to a regenerative economy and a regenerative agroeconomy, 
because th- there's enough complexity here that you know you can't just dive in to you know project X that's all the way across the world and expect to have good venture returns. You you need to be investing in places where you have some ability to sort of vet the potential for success because there'll be many good ideas out there, but not all of them will have a solid return because not all of them will succeed. I mean, that's why we're all in this in the end is because we love to gamble and be right. (laughs) So find the places where you can be right and concentrate on asking the question, what does this sort of um, sector, whether it's um, commodities, sort of bulk commodities or, um, you know, vegetables and grocery or um, confectionery and cacao or cosmetics or real estate. What does this place where I already have some understanding of the way the extractive conventional economy looks, um, what might a play look like in the, the new disruptive distributed regenerative economy look like in this place where I'm already excited about, right? Do a little mapping there and then start to look for people who are active in those places and have conversations with them. I mean, that's a very practical roadmap for engaging. I think the most important, from my perspective, the most important place to engage right now actually is in the information side of this. We need to figure out how to monetize um, the knowledge economy around regenerative agriculture so that we can rapidly accelerate our research and development of agroecosystems. And that to me is, is, you know, complementary with this play into the blockchain are the two highest leverage places to begin the conversation about regenerative agriculture investing. So what does R&D in regenerative agriculture look like? It looks like investing in the potential to have model farms in every ecosystem across the planet that are basically highly monitored and wired so that the practices, um, both ancestral and indigenous, as well as modern, that increase biodiversity and increase soil carbon and increase the health of the the whole ecosystem increase the quality of the products that come out of it can be monitored and then used to extrapolate into this larger global system of value exchange. You know, people who invest in that and companies who have that kind of capacity to share that information in a, to share that information in a distributed but monetized way with a global economy are going to have enormous capacity, not only to make big moves in the future, but also to have a steady income stream because everybody needs that information. So those would be the two places where, where I personally would start from my vantage point. I want to thank you so much, Gregory, for, for taking the time today and, and sharing your knowledge and, and interest. And I'm Sure, we'll check in in a year to see where the blockchain has has landed for the first time in regenerative agriculture and and to discuss the potential, the lessons, the uh, early stage diseases, etc. that were for sure in the system and and we'll we'll see about the future. Yeah, well, thank you so much for for having me on the show, Kohn. And um, um, I look forward to checking back in in a year from now to see where we're at. You just listened to an interview with Gregory Landau. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. 
and learned as much as I did about the potential role of blockchains in the regenerative agriculture space. I'm sure to be checking in with Gregory in a year to see where his projects have led him. Thank you for making the time to listen to this podcast and making it all the way till the end. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you found the Investing in Regenerative Agriculture and Food podcast valuable, there are a few simple ways you can use to support it. Number one, rate and review the podcast on your podcast app. That's the best way for other listeners to find the podcast, and it only takes a few seconds. Number two, share this podcast on social media or email it to your friends and colleagues. Number three, if this podcast has been of value to you, and if you have the means, please join my Patreon community to help grow this platform and allow me to take it further. You can find all the details on patreon.com slash regenerative agriculture or in the description below. Thank you so much and see you at the next podcast.